All right, welcome to the show once again. I'm always so grateful that you watch and listen to this show because now four and a half years, I have so enjoyed reading your comments, replying to them, seeing what's important to you. And before we start, I wanna thank Betty Ryder for my beautiful clothes and this funky necklace. <laughs> Isn't it cool that I can wear someone else's clothes? Be sure and stop in to Preston Center and look for the Red Door, Boutique with the Red Door, Betty Ryder Boutique. And now, have you ever known someone that's narcissistic <laughs> or loved someone that's narcissistic? Or maybe you don't even know what that looks like. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I am so very honored to have the expert, Dr. Les Carter, with me today. And let me just tell you a little bit about him. First of all, he is a renowned author of how many books do you have? Mm, 20. 20 books. I only have eight. That makes me feel bad, but I'm not going to write any more. <laughs> wow. 20 books. He has a YouTube channel. He has podcasts. He's doing it right, if I may say. Let me tell you something else. He's been in over 65,000 counseling sessions, participated in over 2,500 interviews. I suppose this is 2501, whatever. <laughs> And this is awesome, sold more than 2 million copies of his many books. So Dr. Carter, thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, Valerie, I appreciate you having me. I, I consider it to, not, to be an honor. That's, that's just makes my heart sing. And you stay tuned. We will be right back asking so many questions about narcissism. Stay tuned. Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. So Dr. Carter, you came all the way from out of town and you and your wife are here to do this show. Again, I'm really honored Thank because you. it took me, I must say, a long time to find you. Well, well <laughs> I, I, I actually had been in practice for over 40 years and I know that you found me through a, 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 a practice partner of mine yep. and I moved down to Waco from Dallas to Waco for uh, about a little over two years ago. And uh, I kind of found that I was more off the grid than I thought uh, because <laughs> people couldn't find my, my uh, number there at the, at the clinic. But here we are. And I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad you found me. I'm, I'm glad, too, and I have so many questions. First of all, I would just say, um, of the books you've written, let's just start with that. You've written so many. Is there one that you have the most passion about, and which one is it? Yeah, there, there are two, really. Uh, one is called When Pleasing You is Killing Me. <laughs> what a great title. <laughs> and, and the other is called The Anger Trap. Uh, now, I'll start with that one. Uh, the, the way I got into my understanding of narcissism is in uh, my early career, I did a lot of anger workshops. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was a young therapist, uh, you know, it was easy for me to teach classes and, uh, and also I had handouts and all like that. And uh, I would do many of those per year and then other uh, speaking engagements. And as I began talking about 
uh, how people deal with their anger. And of course, that means that they're uh, trying to figure out how to manage conflict. Uh, the more I would discuss all of the different themes there, I would be pushing on the theme of control. Angry people are controlling people. Mm -hmm. I would push on the theme of uh, poor understanding of one another, empathy. Uh, uh, many angry people don't have good empathy. Or the condescending comments, in other words, the need to be superior. Mm -hmm. Or how they can be manipulative or how there can be uh, what I call alternate reality. They make up stuff as they go along. And as I begin looking at those kind of ingredients, it's like I'm talking about narcissism mm, um, because those are the core characteristics of narcissism. And so then as I began uh, discussing narcissism as it relates to anger, then it opens up a whole other understanding of a, an entirely different class of people, and that's the appeasers. Uh, the people that, that narcissists love to bring into their inner circle, uh, and that, that's where I came up with when pleasing you is killing me, uh -huh. uh, the narcissistic and controlling person is over here just saying, well, let me direct your life and let me tell you how you're supposed to be, and you filter everything through the way I say it ought to be. And over time, that individual who's pedaling as fast as they can and trying as hard as they can to be uh, happy and pleasant and cooperative and coordinated just at the end of the day, it's like, I feel like I'm just being played. Oh. I feel like I'm being used here. Mm -hmm. And that lack of understanding and that being on the receiving end of the superiority, which means you're put in the inferior position, uh, became part of uh, the dynamic that I would have to watch for. So uh, in the book, The Anger Trap, I talk about the whole concept of anger. And then when I talk about when pleasing you is killing me, it's like, but if you're on the receiving end of it, here's what we need to watch for. So of the books, those are kind of complimentary books. They are complimentary. So how many people, just let's say in the U.S., do we know how many people are narcissistic? Well, um, that's a bit of a difficult question to answer. <laughs> I uh, like difficult questions. <laughs> because narcissism itself is a pattern on a spectrum. Okay. Now, way back, and this is many moons ago when I was in graduate school, I finished my doctorate in 1980. I was a 26-year-old young pup. Um, back then, we, were, we understood that narcissism, NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, uh, constituted maybe anywhere from 3 to 6% of the population. And when we're talking about the narcissistic personality disorder, we're going all the way to the far extreme. Okay. There, there's a term that we use called malignant narcissism. Uh, there, there's an old theorist who came after Freud and Jung uh, named Eric Fromm, um, F-R-O-M-M, and he's the one who came up with that term, the malignant narcissist. Uh -huh. and, and these are individuals that are just, they're selfish to the core, they're controlling to the core, and you just don't want to be around them because it doesn't take much time at all for their feathers to, to be ruffled and their colors to be shown. And so roughly, let, let's call it 5 or 6% uh, would fit into that kind of category. But then when you pull back, I, I just mentioned that narcissists tend to have that need for control and they tend to have a low level of empathy. Uh, they tend to be easily manipulative and they, uh, uh, they're dismissive. They're pathologically defensive. Uh, they operate with what I refer to as the false self. They want to portray themselves as something on the outside when, in fact, behind the scenes, they, they can have much more nefarious schemes. Um, low empathy. When you begin looking at it from that angle, it's like 
Well, there are moments when I can be that way. Exactly. Sure. And and so now what I'm talking about there is just part of the human condition. Uh, we we each have what I refer to as the duality. Uh, part of us is, is capable of loving and good and kind characteristics, um, but uh, we're also capable of the selfish and controlling and overbearing characteristics. We, we carry that tension on the inside of ourselves. Healthy people, when, it, uh, when those negative traits show up, mm-hmm. they, they acknowledge it. You know it. They, they take ownership of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know this is a, an inclination I'm capable of, and I don't want it to be predominant. And so these would be people that I would say are way down, maybe on the 20% level. I don't think any of us is, is, is quite that skilled to be all the way down to zero. Um, but um, you know, we, we can keep it low. And we can keep it manageable, and then when uh, when uh, your controlling nature or your insensitive nature or something like that slips up, it's like, okay, you got me, uh, I did it, and you you make adjustments. Well, those are people with high emotional intelligence. At least we know it. When exactly. We're doing it. Exactly. Can can true narcissists love? Well, uh, another very interesting question. I, I actually, on my uh, Surviving Narcissism YouTube channel, I, I did a, um, a video. It's entitled, A New Way of Defining Narcissism. And in that video, and that. well, and I explained narcissism can be defined as the absence of love. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you are given over, to the proclivity to be overbearing and controlling. That's not love. When you show little to no empathy, no curiosity about what really makes that other person tick, that's not love. When you're willing to be exploitive and manipulative, that's not love. When you, uh, when you understand what I'm saying, when there's just this, uh, this notion that says, well, look, uh, when I'm in the room, my needs, my feelings, my preferences are the only one that really matters. When you have that entitled, self-centered approach, that's not love. Okay. I'm, I'm interrupting you, forgive me, on purpose, because I'm thinking about someone I know that is passive-aggressive. And the traits of narcissism seem to be there. But no, this person is not overbearing, is not exuberant, is not an extroverted, towering type person. Right. But rather just gets their way, knows exactly what buttons to push, and is just so nice. Well, that takes us to another term that we have in our in our nomenclature here. That's called the covert narcissist. And uh, the covert narcissist is every bit as control oriented as their more loud and obnoxious counterparts. Mm. They just don't want you to see it up front. I'm so glad we went to both extremes. Yeah. How early does narcissism show up in a person? Well, and when I mentioned that it, it's, it has to do with selfishness, entitlement, and control, mm-hmm. um, I've got a little four-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter that I'm just absolutely in love with, <laughs> <laughs> and she loves her pops. Uh, but unfortunately, there can be times when a little four-and-a-half-year-old can, can be focused on me, myself, and I. Well, sure. Or I was once that four-year-old. You were once that four-year-old. 
we we start with a natural inclination towards um, self orientation and managed properly, it, it becomes part of your self preservation system, and that's okay. Safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, with kids, though, uh, you have to teach them, hey, look, I, I know you have your feelings, <laughs> and I know you don't want to eat your broccoli right now. <laughs> I, I know you want to be outside playing, but here's what we need to do. And so uh, over time, you need to teach the child what I refer to as emotional competence. Uh-huh. Uh, let's talk about who you are and what you're going to do and how you're going to manage yourself with your sister or your friends or your parents. And uh, let's discuss, you know, what the wise ways are going to be. And let's say you have a seven or an eight-year-old child who's ticked off because a friend didn't do something the way they wanted. What you can do is you can sit down with them and say, sounds like you've got some anger issues or sounds like you were frustrated or hurt. Uh, why do you suppose you felt that way? Let's take a look at what your options are at a time like this. And you can teach a kid how to monitor and uh, become modest in some of those selfish and controlling uh, inclinations. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, a high percentage, when I'm doing seminars and I I come to this part where I'm talking about uh, emotional competence, a high percentage of people say, well, nobody talked to me that way when I was a kid. Uh, But even if you didn't have that training early on, if you have enough curiosity later in your adolescent years and certainly in your uh, early adult years and then deeper into your adult years, then you can still pick up on the uh, the better ways to do it. Okay. Uh, and, and so there are ways that you can modulate your selfishness and your control tendencies. And, and as the years go by, it's called the maturation process, or if we want to put it in more sophisticated terms, that's the actualization process. So when you're talking about that, have you counseled any true narcissists that have been able to recognize that it's not serving them well and change behaviors? When, when somebody is way down on that uh, narcissistic personality disorder that I just mentioned, uh, they're in that top five or six percent, no. No. Uh, mm-hmm. As a general rule, uh, they're so completely caught up with their own uh, self-importance that when you come along and say, well, there's something we can look at that would be better, in their mind it's like, no. <laughs> I, I am the gold standard. I'm the okay. I'm so glad you said the word gold. That triggered a question. Yeah. I've got a lot of these questions are from real people that wanted me to ask you. Okay, and this is one of them. And this was a parent that said, "Can they have a golden child? Meaning, let's say there's two children, or three children, but one seems to be always the golden child. Is that?" Yeah. Any part of this? Yes. In fact, um, it, it's not at all uncommon for a an adult narcissist to look back and we realize that they were indeed the golden child. Now, not, not everybody that has, has strong narcissistic tendencies uh, would fit into that, but many times they are. In other words, oh, you're so special and you're so wonderful and everything you do is just the, the most beautiful thing we've ever known. And, you know, whatever little Buffy or whatever little Billy wants, we're going to do that for them. And, you know, they, they have everything just handed to them. Mm-hmm. Very commonly in those family systems, um, one of the other siblings can be known as the scapegoat. Sure. Well, we've got the golden child over here who uh, can do no wrong. But then, you yeah, know, there's Johnny over here mm-hmm. or there's Sally. And, you know, she's had some problems. Uh, and and so it, it's, it's really interesting when you start looking at family dynamics that um, – 
whether it's consciously or subconsciously, they can be assigned roles. Mm. And then that can follow them all the way into their adult years and become part of their patterns of engaging with others. Mm. So interesting. Uh, what about possessiveness? Someone, if, if it is someone that is rather possessive, let's say, about their children, um, the children, no, the children can't travel to see you. They need me. Real words from someone I'm thinking of. They need me. No, they're just born. I'll let you hold them for a little bit, but I have to have them back. They need me. Is the need for need part of it? Uh, yes. Uh, another term to be familiar with is what we call narcissistic supply. Uh, narcissists want to give the impression that they're you know, pretty confident mm -hmm. and they've got it together. That's what I mentioned, the false self. It's like, no, I'm, I, I don't really have that many problems. In fact, though, they're very shame-based. They're very fear-based people. Fear-based. Uh, it's like, well, if I show you my humanity, this might not work out well for me. And so when I, when I say that they're shame-based and fear-based, there's actually a, a very subtle self-loathing that they operate with. And by that, I mean, oh, if, if my negatives are found out, oh, this is not going to be good. I hate that side of myself. Mm -hmm. And so they, they continually live with the shield up. And so they're constantly looking for people who will, uh, who will prop them up and say, yes, you really are wonderful. And they want that narcissistic supply because they're in compensation mode. They just don't want to admit it to you. And they get to the point where they don't even admit it to themselves. And that's part of what keeps them stuck in the pattern because they're not able to be honest about who they are. Mm -hmm. So this show is all built around authenticity. What I'm getting is they're not really authentic, are they? Let me ask you a couple of other questions. Um, do narcissists know they are? Do they see it? From time to time, uh, I, I, I just shake my head. There's some people that say, oh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a narcissist and I've, I've got my YouTube channel and I have my podcast and I want to teach you how to uh, deal with people like me so that we don't bother you so much. And I'm just thinking, okay, one of the, one of the key ingredients of narcissism is the willingness to exploit and manipulate. And I, I feel like it's coming on. Uh, so there are some people who will identify themselves as narcissistic. And then it's like, like it's a badge. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh my, <laughs> it's, it's, it's my badge of distinction Whoa. or I recognize it. What are you going to do about it? And, and so some of them it's like, yeah, uh, the reason I need to be in control is because well, this is me. <laughs> and, and so they will actually, in fact, I've used that term badge of distinction. It's almost as though they wear it as a badge of distinction. Like it's a good thing. Yeah. Now, many other times though, you have somebody who's strongly controlling and insensitive and, and all the rest. And when you call them out on it, it's like, mm, no, you missed it on that. Now you are. Oh, blame frame. Yeah. Blame frame. They'll, they'll just uh, point that finger right back at you. You're the selfish one. If, if <laughs> I'm thinking about uh, someone actually doing, not a real person, but I mean, if someone were really doing it, does intellect in, interject here at all? Uh, is there anything that says narcissists are extremely intelligent or not, or it doesn't matter? Well, uh, not necessarily. 
Okay. Sure enough, there are some narcissists who are very intelligent, and there are some narcissists who are dumb as a brick, and there are a whole lot in between. <laughs> human beings. How exactly. about that? Just human so, beings. So, uh, you know, because some folks, it's like, well, you know, narcissists, they tend to rise to the top of the leadership chart. That's why I was saying. And, uh, and, and sure enough, they do. Because uh, wh- wherever they are, they're, they're trying to figure out whether it's uh, if they have a job as a bricklayer or if they have a job as a politician or uh, a company um, somewhere inside the company or uh, the mental health field, whatever it might be. They're thinking, well, how can I be the one that's the expert that's in charge and tells everybody what to do? Uh, and so y- you can have a certain IQ without that EQ that you mentioned, but you can have some people that are just not that bright. And it just never even dawned on them to think about how overbearing they are and pushy and forceful and insensitive. And so uh, they're across the spectrum. I I am just almost, I'm almost listening without listening to the audience, listening to us or watching us trying to figure out, oh, let's see. I wonder if, (laughs) and on that note, people that work for someone many times in my executive coaching, I'll be coaching someone that how do I deal with this person who is, it's always my way and it's controlling, but that doesn't necessarily be narcissistic. But what if it is? What if it's more over well, onto it, that it, side? Well, it does put you on the, on the spectrum. Keeping in mind, that might be somebody that has those controlling tendencies, but eh, maybe they're down at the 40% level. It's there, but it's not so predominant that you can't get along with them. Can we take a blood test and find out where the level is? <laughs> I wish but, we oh, well. okay. I wish we could. Uh, you and I could get rich and we yeah, could get that could. patent. <laughs> but what do they do to, if, if you're working for someone like that? Give us advice. That, that, that's a tough one. I, I had a, a dear friend, uh, Dr. Jim Underwood, who was a professor in business, and he and I uh, put together a book called The Significance Principle. Okay. And the uh, and this is over 20 years ago. And uh, um, the 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 uh, gist of it is that when you are in a work setting, uh, one of the ways to find your your finest influence and the ability to uh, motivate people is to uh, find a person's point of significance and and uh, lean into it. And you become a builder of significance. And uh, it, we have then what I call the significance paradox, where uh, the best way for me to find my significance is to help you find your significance. Which is a good thing. It's win-win. Right. Exactly. And so healthy and uh, and really effective leaders will pick up on that kind of uh, mindset. The unhealthy person starts, you remember the old book, I'm okay, you're okay? Yes. Uh, well, they start with the notion, I'm okay, you're not okay. And, uh, and so if you're in that not okay position, as far as that uh, uh, boss is concerned or supervisor or coworker, mm-hmm. uh, this is where you have to practice some serious personal discipline. Um, if, that, if that person who thinks poorly of you has concluded you're an idiot <laughs> or you're not competent. I'd quit. Well, and, and sure enough, if, if that's something, it may be that you need to be somewhere else. But for the while you're there, right. you have to ask yourself the question, well, do I agree with that? And if, if you are an idiot, you have problems. <laughs> but if you're not, it's like, well, then that person has, has mischaracterized me. And I need to be willing to say, you got it wrong, at least, whether I say it out loud to them or at least I'm saying it within myself. 
And another thing is you might ask, well, am I competent? Am I repugnant? And, and so rather than filtering how you manage yourself inside the workplace through that person who already has a predisposition to think poorly of you, uh, you have to start within your own uh, self saying, well, I, I know who I am and mm-hmm. I know where I'm going. And uh, in the function that I've been given and I'm being paid for, I'm going to do it well. Mm-hmm. And as best as I can, I will uh, coordinate. And sometimes you have to know when to push back against that controlling person. Sometimes you need to uh, learn how to flow within the system. Obviously, you don't want to compromise your own ethics and, and yeah. uh, morality and all the rest that goes with that. But you have to learn to individualize your own thinking about who you are. You have to individualize your own uh, rationale for why you do what you do. And, and, and then if the people surrounding you can say, hey, way to go. Okay, we got some good synergy here. But if they can't, then I'm still going to stay inside my integrity. Well, there you go. Never compromise integrity. There's so much about in these days when there's a chaotic world in the workplace and people are, um, some people who are working are struggling to stay and some people who are leading are struggling to find people to come to work. And in the hiring process, I'm curious if there would be ways to know ahead of time if you're hiring someone because you're ta- you've talked about the charismatic and um, how could I be fooled if I'm in the hiring position? Uh, that's a tough one because uh, remember I, I used the term just a few moments ago called the false self. Exactly. Uh, narcissists as a general rule are skilled at creating good impressions for a while. Now, over time, um, you know, they, uh, they can't stop themselves. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But short term is they can be delightful and some of them are good conversationalists and all, but you do want to watch for certain kinds of, um, qualities. And that is, uh, do they seem interested in who you are? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and sometimes, uh, if a person has, uh, is interviewing, uh, it may be that they've had eight jobs in seven years. You know that would be a clue. It, it implies I don't get along real well. Of course, they always have an excuse. Exactly. Um, or or uh, if they're um, if they don't show any interest in, well, tell me about you, uh, which implies they don't really have any uh, curiosity or empathy, uh, which is a, a hallmark of narcissism: the lack of empathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and frankly, you're not really going to be able to discern a person's extent toward narcissism until there's some serious conflict. And and that goes back to my uh, anger workshop days uh, when I would uh, meet with people and they were there because they couldn't manage the anger inside of conflicts. Mm -hmm. That's typically when the narcissism is going to show up. And so part of your ability to to know if somebody else is narcissistic is you have to have a good examination of yourself. Uh, Well, I know that I put a lot of emphasis on empathy and showing understanding. And I know I put a lot of emphasis on letting people choose for themselves how they're going to manage tasks. Mm -hmm. In other words, I don't want to be a a micromanager, high controller. And and once you kind of have more and more of your own skill set established in the healthy direction, Mm -hmm. uh, yes, the narcissist can fool you. Uh, but uh, you can you can pick up on traits with people that uh, you know 
they're they're pretty impressed with themselves, or they just don't care about anything beyond you know themselves. They don't really want to learn. They just give me a job. Oh, by the way, how much are you going to pay me? You know that kind of thing. So I've got a question on that. Let's say that you're with a person, and it really the question is: Is this narcissistic? How many times, Doctor Carter, have you and I will speak for myself and my husband who won't go to any more social events? where you go up to someone and you make that initial introduction, my name, my name is, right. and then the conversation is one way, and that person <laughs> is going to tell you everything about how wonderful he is and yeah. how many awards he's won and blah, 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 and it's just blah. There are too many situations. Oh. You're shaking your oh, head yeah. too. Oh, it, what is that? Well, you you you, you met uh, you met my wife uh, right before yes. we came on here. And did that? You, yes. you were able to meet me, my wife Jennifer. She and I we we uh, were shaking our head. There was this couple that we kept running into in social circumstances, and often on like for four or five years. And I, I think it was it was her that said, you know, I don't think in all the times that we've encountered them that they've asked once. You know, how was my day? Or, you know, if I talk about that trip that we took to Vermont, you know, tell me about that. And it's like, you know, I can understand maybe they've had a bad day, but I mean, over and over and over, they just don't care. <laughs> or if you do tell them about that trip to Vermont, they'll say, oh, yeah, well, I went to Hawaii and they'll one up exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So networking, stay tuned. This is, this yeah. happens. Networking 101. What do you suggest if you're in that situation, you can say back and leave? How do you, in other words, how do you and Jennifer get out of that situation? What do you say? Uh, one of us goes to the restroom and texts the other one. <laughs> call, hey, got an emergency. You know, I, I think we about to have a heart attack, so we need to go to the hospital. <laughs> well, that's good if you're together. But seriously, I mean, how can you uh, negate that? I, I'll give you a story. And it's kind of what I alluded to, which is meeting someone. And again, that's exactly what happened. Uh, he continued to talk and talk and talk, and he was so proud of everything about himself. And I kept hearing about it. Now, how do you stop the conversation long enough to exclude yourself from the conversation? Well, the rest of your question probably is without seeming like you're being a jerk. Yes. Um, sometimes if you realize I'm stuck here and this person is just completely full of themselves and they couldn't <laughs> care less, sometimes it, you just kind of have to do what you have to do to take care of yourself. And you may say something like, I know that you have some interesting stories. If you don't mind, I'd like to go ahead and speak to this person over here. I haven't seen them in a while. There you or, go. And, and if, they, if they walk away thinking, well, you didn't seem to care, yeah. it's like, well, actually. I don't. <laughs> I'm not going to say it out loud. Let's make it real. <laughs> I love that. But, it, you know, at some point happens. you just take care of yourself. Yes. And, and then if they uh, just roll their eyes at you, it's like, well, they roll their eyes at everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm next on the list. <laughs> You you are such a you are such a real person with such intellect about all this narcissism and many of the other things you've counseled all these years. I always ask my guests what lessons learned that you would share with a twelve year old or my, my audience of leaders and those who want to be. And you mentioned the importance of listening. Everyone says that. Everyone says that. 
My question to you is, how do I really know you're listening? Um, you, everyone has a backstory. And uh, I'm truly interested in what a person's backstory is. And so what I like to do is whenever I'm engaging with someone, for example, if they say something like, um, yeah, I, I uh, went to, um, you know, two hours away to go see my grandkids. And I might say something like, um, uh, tell me some of the favorite things you enjoy doing with them. Or, and, and you just want to, I want to find out, you know, what's going on. Cause you're, yeah, they, yeah, they'll reveal themselves mm -hmm. or someone else comes along and says, well, I was working on this project with the uh, ABC Corporation, and we've just kind of hit a snag, then I might ask something like, uh, well, when you hit a snag, what does that do to you? Because mm -hmm. I know that you've got the desire to do things right. And in other words, just pick up on what people are saying and then show curiosity. And it's not a technique. No. It, it, it's a mindset. I, I really want to know who you are in this moment. You're sharing a portion of who you are. Uh, can you give me some more data on that? Can you give me some more information? And, and you, uh, you, you're able to learn all sorts of nuances uh, from people when you make that a, a priority. Some people just don't do that. They, they don't care. No, I know. And the thing that I love about that, what you were saying about the listening, when it's deep listening, in other words, when, to your point, you really are listening to what's important to the other person, then you know what to do to carry the conversation on. In my workshops about uh, social savvy, and I talk about all of these things, I say it's not that hard. It really isn't. If you just really listen to someone, to your point, you'll pick up on those nuances and you'll have another nugget to throw back. You know, conversation is really nothing more, in my opinion, than playing uh, tennis. You know, I throw the ball to you and hopefully you don't keep it very long yeah. and you throw it back to me. But to your point, it's listening enough to pick up the ball where they have left off. And another one, so thank you for that. Another one is you said you have to have a definition of who you want to be. And you don't mean being inauthentic. So talk about that. Well, the, where that statement comes from is I'm very aware that narcissistic individuals um, can be so overwhelming mm -hmm. that they can they can set the pace. They can. If they're argumentative, before you know it, well, I'm being argumentative too. If they're highly defensive, well, I feel like I've got to justify myself too. Or if they uh, just have uh, rambling stories, and I, you know, I might try to get my rambling story in there. <laughs> um, but. Um, at some point, it's like, you know, if there's some things over there uh, that that person is bringing to the equation that's just not uh, consistent with where I want to be, I I'm hoping that each one of us can have our moments where there's there's this ongoing updating, you know, who am I, mm -hmm. what, what beliefs, what characteristics, what traits do I want to have? For example, uh, I say I want to be a patient person. Well, we'll uh, take some low-lying fruit on that. Everybody wants to be a patient person. And so when somebody is saying and doing something in front of me that's making me think, come on, get to the point, mm -hmm. it's like, well, wait a minute. I already said I want to be a patient uh -huh. person, and I don't have to have that person's coordination. It would be nice, but if they don't, I can still be that person. Or I want to be a person of respect. And if somebody's showing me disrespect, 
I don't have to match pitch. Uh, I still want to maintain a respectfulness, you. you know, that kind of thing. So that's what I mean when I say you want to have a definition of who you are. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I like is I, I like being, uh, I, I, I've got various groups where we have accountability with each other and we know one another well. I like to read. I like to, you know, run things by my closest confidants, whether it's my wife or a very close friend or a family member. And just, you know, you always just want to be a student of humanity and, and, uh, and just be honest about who you are um, and, uh, and, and just make that uh, a goal. And then when you're when you know that you're in the presence of someone who doesn't share those characteristics, it's like, OK, I've got to double down then on my efforts because uh, I, I don't want to be controlled or I don't want my mannerisms to be determined by this unhealthy person who's right in front of me. What's a question no one's ever asked you? Hmm. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm going to have to think on that one. Um, that you'd like to have me ask. Well, you know, I, I, I guess um, I, I have to, I don't know if anybody's ever asked, well, what's the, the most difficult type of person for me okay. personally to have to come to terms with? And? Um, and, and I, it's it, there are some individuals that um, it, it's almost as though when you are about three sentences into the conversation with them, you can already pick up on the fact that it's like you don't know what you're talking about, or uh, I don't care anything about you, or you you seem to be real self impressed. So why should I be impressed with you? You know, and they just you you can just pick up on the fact that that they already bring a cynicism to the equation. How do you deal with that kind of person? And um, so I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. So in, in my mind, it's like, well, I don't feel like I have to impress you. I love it. <laughs> Keep going. Right on. This goes, this goes back to that, yeah. uh, the last question you asked, well, what's your definition of yourself? Right. And it's like, well, because as, as I'm talking, I'm thinking of uh, somebody that I've known for quite some time and whenever I'm around him. Uh, I know that he thinks all that, that psychology stuff, it's, it's a bunch of hooey anyway. Yeah. And it's like, okay, think it. I, I don't care. Uh, and I don't mean that in a callous, cold-blooded kind of way, but if, if you're not going to be impressed, then that's where you are. Mm -hmm. I suspect there's a lot of people that are on that list that, that don't impress you, and I'm one of them. And, and so you just kind of have to, to know uh, on the inside of me as best as I'm able. I'm not perfect, but as best as I'm able, I, I want to be a very decent person. I want to live into my integrity and in, in my uh, values and standards and principles. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, a high percentage of people are going to, uh, to appreciate that. And then there's some of those out there that are just predisposed to say, not me, I'm not there. It's like, okay, that's okay. where you are. Well, and if that's not a fit, you just move on. Yeah. Yeah. I love that visual. If it's not a, I'll do it again. If it's not a fit, you just move on. Hey, I just came up. There you That's go. good. How about that? Yeah, yeah. One more question. What's the silliest thing you've ever done? <laughs> uh, okay, my, my my granddaughter. Um, she she told me this is not that long ago. She's four and a half. She said, Pops, do you know what I like most about you? And I thought she was going to say, you know, I don't know, that, that I hug her or something. She says, you like to dance with me. Oh. <laughs> and we, we, have, we have this Dire Straits song, uh, The Walk of Life. 
And there's this video where this guy is dancing to the walk of life, and she wants to go back into my study and turn on uh, the, the song goes, here comes Johnny with his oldie goldies. And so it's like, well, where's Johnny? Because I know he's going to be coming here. <laughs> and so she and I will go back in my study and we'll close the door because it drives everybody else crazy. And we'll turn it up as loud as we can uh, and we'll dance. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. What a fun way to end the show. Yeah. I can just see you as serious as narcissism is. <laughs> and you're down with your four-year-old dancing. And uh, there's that's it's great. pure gold. Oh, and it's pure joy. That's pure yeah, joy. Yeah. Listen, this has been pure joy for me to have you on the show. It's a topic that all of us want and need to know more about and to understand how to work with and through people that are narcissists. So gosh, underneath the banner, you will see, and I'd like you to verbally tell them the podcast you've got, your YouTube channel, the books are all listed on Amazon. I well, listen, there's a bunch. We're, we're going we're gonna to make it easy because yeah. um, I'm like a guy that has, is on a broken record. Uh, the pod, My YouTube channel is called Surviving Narcissism. Okay. And then we have a, a website called survivingnarcissism.tv because we and I have a ton of articles and uh, and then some uh, we post some of our uh, videos and all in there and I have workshops and all the people can have on that. And then uh, beyond that I have a podcast called Surviving Narcissism of all things. <laughs> there's a consistency so there, there, there. Yeah. so we Branding. just kind of locked in on that, yeah. So uh, just just look that up you'll find me. And I will tell you audience I have watched so many of them and what amazes me uh, Dr. Carter is that they're all different. I mean you've got I don't know, hundreds, thousands, whatever. We got about 600 videos. 600. Okay. 600 videos. Think about that. But they're all different. And so I would encourage you to learn more should you be interested from Dr. Les Carter. Thank you so much, sir. Valerie, it's been my pleasure. And I'm I'm so glad we connected. I'm so pleased to have had the chance to be here with you today. Well, it was not easy to find you, but I got it. And I thank the young lady. I wish I could remember her name right now that finally said, I'm going to figure it out. And she did. And here we are. And so you stay tuned because as always, I have a Valerieism. So let me tell you what it is today. This one is don't wait until you're completely sure. <laughs> Isn't that true? If you did, you'd never do it. Now I have to be vulnerable because that's for me too. You know, sometimes when the teacher is teaching, the finger goes out, but the thumb comes down into my heart. And I'm saying it to myself too. Don't wait until you're completely sure. If you've got a dream, go for it. Put feet to the street. If you've got an idea, try it out. If you've got something that you've been wanting to do, do it. Because you know what? Today's the day. So that's my Valerieism for today. And one more thing, Monday Morning Leadership for Women is now an eight-week course. Women, I am so excited about offering this to you. Please go into my uh, website and email me. I'd rather you email me and let me know that you heard this. Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com. Let me know you're interested because it's filling up. I'm not going to take a gazillion women. I'm going to make it small enough that we really connect 
and communicate and comprehend each other and what's important to women as we are working to get our work done and our lives lived better. So email me, Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com and I will send you the outline. Come on, y'all. That's it for now. Until next time. Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.